Look at Matthew this morning. We've been in Matthew chapter number 28, uh, a series on the Great Commission this morning. I'm going to read that at the beginning, but we're going to spend our time in Matthew chapter number 9. Uh, so you can turn to both passages if you'd like. I'm going to read very quickly Matthew 28, uh, and then I'll refer to it again at the end of the message. Uh, but we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter number 9 this morning, and so you want to find your place there. I believe this is message number 15 uh, on the subject of the Great Commission, and uh, we have uh, many more uh, that I uh, plan on preaching, uh, plan on preaching number 16 tonight, Lord willing, uh, as we're looking at the Great Commission, that great uh, task that God has given the church to fulfill of reaching the world with the gospel. May we always be reminded as His church that that is our priority. That is the focus, is to reach the world with the gospel. Matthew chapter number 28, I'll read verse 19 and 20. We know it by now. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Christ came as our sin sacrifice, paid for our sins, died on the cross, gave his life on the cross, was buried and rose again three days later, having uh, conquered death and hell. And that is because of that that we have salvation. And uh, we're thankful for what Christ did. Before he ascended into heaven, he uh, assembled his church and he gave them this commission. He did not commission them to start a political revolution. He did not commission them to uh, any other task other than to go and uh, preach the gospel, to convert, uh, to win people with the gospel so they might be saved. Then he instructed them to uh, baptize them, that public declaration of their faith, that identification with Christ, uh, then to teach them to observe all things that Christ had taught and commanded. And that is what we are to do as the church. Uh, we are to go and to present the gospel so that man might be saved. Uh, then we want them to take that next step in their life to uh, publicly identify with Christ. It just makes no sense why somebody wouldn't want to publicly identify with the one who saved them from hell. Uh, then to grow and to learn how then I can go and then I can do for others what was done for me. Now I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter number 9, the latter part of the chapter beginning in verse number 35. And we'll read down through verse number 38. Uh, chapter 9, verse 35 through verse 38. With the Great Commission in mind, let's read beginning with verse number 35 of Matthew chapter number 9. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want to draw your attention to a phrase in verse 36. He was moved with compassion. I want you to listen very carefully to me this morning. There's a couple of key principles I'll bring out that are just, they're pivotal. Uh, if the church is going to fulfill the Great Commission. And I want to preach this morning on the compassion of the Great Commission. 
the compassion of the Great Commission. Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning. Uh, Father, of all the different messages that you've put on my heart over the last many weeks, uh, there's many that will preach and be preached in weeks to come. This is the one you selected for today. This is the one that we need this morning. I pray that you would use it. Once again, I pray that if there's someone lost, they've yet to uh, reconcile their eternity with you. Father, I pray they do it before it's too late. Uh, for uh, those that are saved, maybe that next step of baptism is the one they need to, need to take, that public declaration of their faith, or perhaps unite with the church so they can continue to grow and to reach others. Whatever the decision today, Father, I pray the Spirit of God would have liberty and that He would work and we would respond as He leads us today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are several verses that you read through Scripture and several phrases that uh, often seem to jump off the page, to grab a hold of you. Uh, this one, when you read of our Lord, uh, He being moved with compassion, it should get our attention. Several times it is mentioned about our Lord in different contexts, a couple of times in another gospel the same as this, but in different contexts you'll read the phrase, move with compassion. Now it's important for us to understand that compassion is different than love. For God so loved the world. Aren't you thankful that God loves you? If nobody else in this world loved you, God still loves you. God so loved the world. And God doesn't tell us He loves the world because we're lovable. Because, quite frankly, we're not lovable. Uh, we're unlovable. God doesn't love us because we're good. God so loved the world. I'm thankful for His love. I'm thankful that He loved each and every one of us. But compassion is different. The Scripture does not say He was moved with love. Love, with love comes a duty. There are some things that you and I do because we love, not because we want to do it, because it is the duty that comes with that love. I don't know what it is, and I'll get some amens from the men. I don't like taking the garbage out. Uh, but I take the garbage out. I mean, I'm only after she tells me four or five times, but I take the garbage out. Uh, there are things that I do as a husband. I only do them not because I want to do them but I do them because I love. As a father, there are some things that I do, not because I want to do them, but there's duty attached to that word love. I do it because I love. And we could all testify this morning, there are some things that we do we don't even think about because we love. And we do them because we love. We don't even weigh the consequences, we just do them because we love. That, the Bible does not say that he was moved with love. We know God loves us. We know Christ loves us. He went to the cross to pay for our sin debt. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say he was moved with love. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. A definition of that word compassion, so we have a proper understanding, is a suffering with another. Painful sympathy. A, a sensation of sorrow caused by the distress or misfortune of another. Pity, commiseration. Compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. That's different than just love. Compassion is much different than God loving us. 
I'm glad He loves us. It's His nature. He decided He's going to love us. There's nothing you and I could do that could change that. But I'm also thankful that our Lord was moved with compassion. When He saw the multitudes, as we see in verse 36, boy, He suffered with them. He had painful sympathy. We might word it like, well, try and put yourself in their shoes. Try and understand what they might be going through. Try and see it from their perspective. We have, we can do that, and we should do that more often than we do, but we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who knew every sorrow that was in the heart of the multitude, who knew every burden that was being carried, who knew the eternity of every soul, who knew the struggles and the hardships and the heartaches. And he, of course, on the cross did more than put himself in our shoes. He put himself in our place as he paid our sin debt. But he had that sympathy with the multitudes, that sorrow caused by the distress or the misfortune, that thought that compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. Love in and of itself, we've talked about just a little bit this morning, is a wonderful thing. Sorrow is a powerful emotion that all of us, I'm certain, have experienced at some point in our life. What is compassion when you compound the two? And it's not just a feeling sorry for someone. There's a love that identifies with the sorrow, identifies with the condition, identifies with the fate, identifies with the burden. And because of that love with that sorrow, brings that sorrow upon ourself. No wonder the scripture says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Our Lord, and then you take the word moved, we know that's the simple definition, is stirred. He was stirred with compassion, or can we say it like this? He was stirred with love and sorrow. There's a lot of people who throw the word love around in this world, and we can talk about that at another time, of whether it's really love or not. But there's a lot of people who would talk about sorrow, but quite frankly, there's not enough compassion. That taking love and that sorrow and compounding them, and because of the sorrow of what somebody's experiencing, because of their plight and the love that I have, those two, he was stirred with love or sorrow. What stirred him? Was it a hashtag campaign on social media? It was not. He was stirred by the condition of the people. We saw that in verse 36. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They had no spiritual health. We know our Lord was concerned about their needs because the scripture in this passage already tells us he was healing diseases. He was healing sicknesses. We know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. He was concerned with the fact that people were hungry, so he did a miracle just to, just to fill their bellies. We know the Lord is concerned. 
with the physical needs of man. But I do not believe he is speaking of the physical needs of man. I believe he is speaking of the spiritual needs of man and how the people fainted because they had no spiritual stamina, no spiritual health. If you go for a certain length of time without food and without water and without rest, your body will faint, your body will give out because there's limitations to that. The same is true of our spiritual needs. He saw that they were scattered abroad. They had no direction. How many times do we encounter people, and maybe there's someone in this room this morning, you're as Jesus would describe, you're scattered abroad as a, as a lost sheep. You, 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 you know that there's a direction. You just don't know where it is. You know that there's God. You just don't know Him. You, you know that there's a life that He will lead you. You just don't know where to go. But often we may get frustrated with people we know are, are, are people that we encounter in this world and we say they just, they just don't know what's up, what's down. They don't know where they're going. They're sheep. They're lost sheep. And friend, let me just interject here. Nothing will give you direction like Christ will. So I, I, I just got to figure all this out. What is it to figure out? Jesus says, follow me. And as long as you're following him, there's nothing to figure out. It's a direction. We're scattered, but we're not following the great shepherd. Well, he noticed they're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. No one to care and guide them. You must understand that Christ came preaching a different message than they were used to hearing. These were those who would go to the synagogue and they would keep the law. And they, in how many times does our Lord combat the Pharisees? Combat the Sadducees and combat the scribes as being white as sepulchers and uh, full of dead men's bones. And their motives were not pure. Their motives were to, to take advantage of the people. They cared nothing about the people but just themselves. You would think that religious people would celebrate the arrival of a, of a Savior. They would celebrate the Son of God. They would celebrate grace and, and salvation by faith. And they would celebrate those things so that people might have deliverance. But no. They did not care for the people. And the Lord knew that they were sheep that had nobody to care for them. But what a picture of religion. What a picture of this world. He was stirred with love and sorrow. Often what we have a tendency to do is take note of a situation that's too bad, and we move on. That's not compassion. Well, this person needed help, and I, and I gave them a little bit of help. And No, we, we sometimes help so that we can move on. 
And see, sometimes if you'll permit me, there's some say, Pastor, can you help me do this? And can you help make the, meet this theme? And, and I'm, I'm on some hard times. Can you help me do this? And say, I'll help you every way I can, but let's correct the problem so we don't get here, get, get there um, uh, again. And that takes some compassion to try and correct the situation. The Lord was moved. He was stirred because he commiserated with the people. He suffered with them as he saw them. Well, this was the compassion of our Lord. And with just the few minutes I have left, I want to make four statements as we think of the compassion of our Lord and the compassion of the Great Commission and I want us to pay close attention to this because, friend, quite frankly, we're living in a world full of selfish people. And I'm not just talking about those outside the church. I'm not just talking about those without Christ. I'm talking about those that would, would declare that they have been born again, those that would declare that they are following Christ. We have a world full of apathy, a world that's too busy with their own issues to stop and say, Pastor, I know I, I hear the Great Commission, I hear all those things, but don't you know we have our own problems? I want us in light of the Great Commission, look at the compassion of the Great Commission, and look at what our Lord teaches us here in this passage. Let me say statement number one. Jesus was busy in the work. Jesus was busy in the work. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues. That's a feat in itself. He didn't have transportation. He couldn't call an Uber. He was on foot. I've been to Israel, as some of you have, and to go from a city and a village, that's a trek. That's labor. That's up the mountain, down the mountain, cross the desert. It is, it is a commitment. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Let me just quickly point out that he was preaching the gospel. Now, and let me just say that there's, there's an emphasis here. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness. The church is getting it wrong when we want to meet the physical needs and ignore the spiritual. If we take care of the spiritual needs, God will take care of the physical needs. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with the church being involved in things, but usually comes at the cost of preaching the gospel. Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was going from cities and villages. He was busy in the work. You want to know why churches are not moved with compassion today as our Lord was? It's because they are not busy in the work. Church is a place they attend. It's not a life they live Say, what, what, what's going on in this world? Well, it's too bad for the others, and I'm glad my family's saved. I'm glad we have a church. And if you're in, in, in you as a Christian this morning, you might be saying, well, this church has been good. I just don't know how it, how it applies to me. Get busy in the work. Christians are not moved with compassion today because they're not busy in the work. How are you going to be moved with compassion if you're not where you can see the people. You know, 
For example, we have, we have a bus ministry. We're going to be expanding it later this fall. Do you know why some will never see the need of that? Because they're not having no compassion about it. I didn't say you don't have love in your heart. I didn't say you don't love your fellow man. But there's something when you go to somebody's home and you see somebody who, who's been neglected, you see somebody who doesn't have the gospel. In many cases, not every case that, that, that we go to, but in many cases, they have nobody to love them. They have nobody to instruct them. That'll, then you have compassion. If you just, and I'm going to be very blunt and very pointed this morning, and we'll just have to, 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 to handle it as we go along. But if you're, just, if, you're, if you're in here five minutes late and you leave five minutes early, how are you going to be involved in the work? It's, it's, there's compassion. Christians are not moved with compassion today because they're not busy in the work. Listen to this statement. Obedience to Christ's command prompts us to care for the souls of men. Compassion fuels the command. Pastor, I don't have the compassion you're talking about. You know, most of us, when I say most of us, that's a nice way of me saying all of us have a problem with compassion. And we don't always feel like doing what we know we're supposed to do. So why do we do it? Because we obey. Well, I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to, but I just don't feel like it. Our feelings should never be involved in it. If we read, we read the Great Commission again this morning, we'll read it again at the end of the message. Jesus did not put qualifiers on what he, when he said go. Guys, if you feel like it. Church, if it, if it works into your busy schedule, that's not what he did. And we find the example of our Lord being busy in the work. Jesus was busy in the work. Maybe our compassion would be greater if we were busier. And many of you could testify this morning that the busier you are in the work of the Lord, the more compassion you have on your fellow man, the more the Spirit of God speaks to you and through you as you see people, as you go about your business, it is because you are involved in the work. Well, I just don't, I just don't feel like I should be doing that. Just obey what God has said. And I've said this before, I'll say it again this morning, I believe that every child of God ought to be busy in the work somehow, some way. Statement number two. Jesus understood the work was the people. The work wasn't the job. The work wasn't the task. The work was the people. In verse number 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. It was all about the people not the work. Sadly, I mentioned just a moment ago, there are many Christians who are not moved with compassion. I didn't say you didn't have love. You're not moved with compassion because you're not involved in the work. I believe that there are Christians all across our country, all across the city, who are born again and they sit at home on Sunday. And the country declines the city has declined, and they're unaware of the connection between obedience and commitment 
and compassion. We obey, we see, we serve. There's something inside of us that compels us to be moved with that compassion, but if we don't see it, I said statement number two, Jesus understood the the work was the people. Just as I was very pointed in that, that we must be involved if we're going to be compassionate, that too many times we're more concerned with the work than we are the people. Well, what are we doing for the Lord? Well, I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. I don't mean task. Give me names. Give me somebody you're helping. Give me somebody you're witnessing to. Give me somebody you're trying to get to church. Give me somebody that you're teaching. Don't give me, don't give me just a list of tasks. And, and let me just say, as a busy pastor, I have to remind myself of this. And there's sometimes, it's, there's sometimes weeks go by and I can do everything that I need to do and, and nobody needs me and there's no text, there's no emails, there's no phone calls. And, but then the next week, now I know, I, 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 I've been at this for 10 years now, I know what, it's comes in waves. And then it's, Pastor, I need to meet with you. Pastor, I need this. Pastor, these people are in the hospital, this and this. And I get none of the work that I normally do week in and week out. At first, I used to get frustrated by that, but it's all about the people. That's what it's about. Too many times people are more concerned with their title or their role or the role they can can or cannot play instead of the person that can be helped. Did you hear what I just said? Too many times people are more concerned with titles or the role they can or cannot play instead of the person that can be helped. No matter, you don't have to have a title by your name to be part as a part of the Manual Baptist Church for you to be a help to somebody. You don't have to have an official role to have a part in what goes on here on Sunday. Hey, can you can you can you let can you talk to this person or can you can you can you can you uh, visit with this person? Well, that's not in my job description. I'm just a seat warmer. That's my job. That's what I do. You don't have to have a title. Well, I, I mean, this was available, and, and Pastor didn't choose me, so therefore he must not think I'm worthy. Well, whether that's true or not, it has nothing to do with helping the multitudes. I'm going to make two statements that deal with this, and, and some may have to swallow hard at it, but there are, there are pastors who should not be pastoring. Because they could do more for the cause of Christ doing something else in a ministry than they can. But you know what they'd have to do? They'd have to give up their title pastor. I'm not saying that everybody who, who you have to have a certain number in your church. I'm not saying that you, there has to be a certain way to go about it. But there, because there are just some places where God, God carves a man, puts him there, and I thank God for that. We had one uh, who, who pastors in a small town, pastored there for over 30 years. They preached for us Friday night and has, and has made a difference in that town. I'm not talking about that. But there are some who, so they could have a title, they ignore people and they die and go to hell that they could reach because they don't want to give up a title. Likewise, there are Christians that are part of dead churches. Dead churches. 
in this city that are part of dead churches that want to see people saved, but then have to give up their title to go to a church that's actually reaching people with the gospel. There perhaps are Christians here this morning that say, Pastor, as soon as you gave me a responsibility, then I'll get involved. Why don't we get involved and see if we're moved with compassion as our Lord was? Can I further illustrate this point of Jesus understood the work was the people? He had some disciples that served with him, didn't he? You know what their job was? To organize. Crowd control. Jesus did the healing. They were to do the gathering. Do you know who cleaned up after the multitude? The disciples. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you know who fed the people who passed out the food? The disciples. See, our Lord is looking for servants who are willing to get involved in the work. And when you're involved in the work, Jesus reminds us that the work was the people. May we not, as the Emmanuel Baptist Church, get so busy in the work that we forget the purpose of the work. The purpose of the work is to reach a world with the gospel to reach the world uh, with, with, with the good news of Christ to those about around us. Hey, in our busyness as we go through life, in our busyness, and this is a busy church. This is a church that has a lot of opportunities to serve as we go about and we are busy. Don't forget uh, the person that, that you cross in the gro- grocery store that, that, that have an eternal soul that's going to go to heaven or hell. Don't forget that the people we pass at work and we're running to and fro, don't forget that those are people that Christ died for as well. Let me say also, number three, Jesus recognized the problem. In verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous but the laborers are few. Christ identifies it right here. The harvest is plenteous. This, what he's saying is these multitudes, the reason why there's a multitude here is because they have needs they won't met. They need the gospel. Yes, they have diseases and they have ailments, but more than that, there's a reason why they went to Christ to get that healing because they knew he was the Son of God. They believed he was the Son of God. They believed on him. And what Jesus is saying when he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, there's not a shortage of people that need Christ. There's a lot, there's multitudes of people who need Christ. Every one of us this morning would agree that there are millions, if not billions of people who need Christ. As Jacksonville and the surrounding areas continues to grow, you know what that means? That means there's multitudes that need Christ. 
The harvest is plenteous. Well, pastor, if there's multitudes that need Christ and multitudes that we can help and multitudes that we can reach, what's the problem? The laborers are few. I do not believe it is the case with this church because this is an above average church. But there's a statistic that is said that in the average church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the budget. Now, I don't believe that's true here because what that is saying is 20% of the people are involved in the work. They're in the, the labor. They, they Only 20% have that dedication. Could that reflect what Jesus is saying when he says the harvest is plenteous? There's plenty of people that need Christ, who want Christ, but the laborers are few. And let me just remind all of us, it is not any of us that can change the soul of a man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. This city needs the Emmanuel Baptist Church not because of our righteousness, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of Him. Jesus will still save any sinner. Jesus is still the difference in the home. Jesus is still the difference, and He's the the one that will make the difference in a new generation. He's still the answer. But we need laborers. They're few. This city used to, and I don't know the situation of every church in our city. I wouldn't dare try and speak on behalf of every. I can just tell you what I have seen through the years. And I don't think anybody would argue with me that there are less churches today preaching the gospel in our city. There are less churches today with laborers trying to reach the multitudes than there were 25 years ago. And as our city population grows, the laborers are going in the wrong direction. Jesus recognized the problem. We said, first of all, Jesus was busy in the work. We should be busy in the work. That's how we're moved with compassion. He understood the work was people. He recognized the problem. Let me say, number four, Jesus also gave the solution. Pray ye therefore, verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's it, pastor, I see it. We have have a labor shortage. Jesus told us that. You just said that. Jesus also gave the solution. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I'll tell you what we do. Since Jesus identified the problem, he said there's multitudes that need Christ. He was moved with compassion on them. That that compounding of of love and sorrow. And he empathized with them. He wasn't like, oh, well, it's their problem. No, he he hurt with them. And he longed for their needs to be met. And he he could feel the weight of their burden. Now that he's identified this, let's let's conclude the service with a prayer meeting so so that the Lord will send laborers. That's not what he was saying. He was talking to those that were already involved in the labor. 
There's too many Christians that try and pray in a labor on their behalf to go into the harvest. He was speaking to those who were already laboring, those who were involved, not this was not those not involved asking God to send a replacement. Christian, no matter how you try and word it, manipulate it, no matter how you try and cut it, the command is to every child of God to be involved in the labor. Now, my involvement may be different than your involvement. We've preached on that in, in recent weeks. My opportunity may be different than your opportunity and vice versa. But everybody can have a part. Everybody should have the part. I believe in this. I believe sometimes this passage is used in the context of missions, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We ought to pray that God would touch the heart of a young man, a young lady, to go to another country where they don't have the gospel and preach the gospel. But I believe if we take this in the, in the exact context that I think it is being given in, it is Christ speaking to the laborers and saying, we need to pray for more people to get involved in the labor. I believe he was speaking directly to the multitude that was right there in front of them. These people have needs that need to be met. These people need what I can give them. We need more laborers so that we can reach the multitude. And friend, if I can put it in this context for you and I today, it is one thing to say the world needs Christ. It's one thing to say our city needs Christ. It's another thing to be moved with compassion to say, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to have a part. I'm going to pray that others will get involved as well. Compassion leads to commitment. You'll have to forgive me this morning if this offends you. But don't tell me you have compassion for a lost and dying world if there's no commitment on your part to the Great Commission. I don't know that any Christian this morning would argue with me that those that are without Christ are dying and going to hell. I don't think anybody would argue with me that the, the, the return of Christ is imminent. But can we say we're a compassionate people if we do nothing to change that scenario? We read the Great Commission earlier Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We know that Christ has given this command before he ascends into heaven. He says, I'm going back to heaven. This is what you are to do in my stead. How can we really say we have... The, the, we're moved with compassion. How can we really say we have that compound of love and, and, and sorrow and we empathize with a world that's dying and going to hell if we're not going to be committed? But if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the most important decision you'll ever make is to put your faith and trust in Christ. Realize that you're a sinner on your way to hell.
A church can't save you. A man can't save you. Your grandmother can't pray you in or out of heaven. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can, can grant that forgiveness. You need to have that settled. But if you're here this morning, you've been saved, and you've never been scripturally baptized, you need to take that next step in your baptism. Friend, let me just be, be blunt. I'll be blunt, but I'll be blunt too. We, how are we going to say we're involved in the Great Commission if we won't commit to the institution that Christ gave the commission? And this would make me very unpopular in, this, in the world today and certainly in our city. But, but please spare me the rhetoric of how we want to save our city and we as a Christian can't even get to the church house on Sunday. Spare me the rhetoric of how we want to make a difference in our communities and, and we have Christians who, who are not committed. Say, Pastor, this, this really offends me and, and I want to go to a church where, where uh, I don't have this pressure on me. Sadly, there's too many of those. That's why we're in the condition we're in. This morning, my message is completed, I want to remind us of what compassion is. Compassion is love and sorrow. There's a lot of Christians that say they have love in their heart, and I would never question that. That's different than compassion. That's different. I love my fellow man. That's what we all should be able to say. It doesn't mean we're moved with compassion. Compassion says, as you drive through a neighborhood, there are people in this neighborhood that need Christ. We've got to do something about that. We've got to get the gospel to their homes. Compassion says, love says, it's there's poor people in those nursing homes that are just left there and forgotten. That's, that's, that's too bad. I hope that doesn't happen to me one day. Compassion says, that's somebody's mother. That's somebody's father that's been forgotten. They need the gospel. Compassion says, I'll, I'm going to commit to that work. See, so we can have love, but that does not equal compassion. What this world needs is a compassionate church. What this world needs are compassionate Christians. Let me say this at the risk of you misunderstanding me and at, at inviting criticism. This world has too many self-righteous Christians and self-righteous churches. What this world needs are compassionate Christians.
I know all about the stand, and I know all about I'm not minimizing that, and this is a church that takes a stand. This is a pastor that takes a stand. But the stand is there. The stand is, is where, where, where the Bible lays, uh, has the stand. But what this world needs is a compassionate people, someone who's moved with compassion. And we see people say, that could be my son. That could be my grandson. That could be my brother. Maybe you have unsaved loved ones scattered across this country and you pray for somebody to, to send a gospel witness to, to witness to them. You could be the answer to somebody else's prayer as we look at those around us. And I know we have problems and I know we have burdens and I, and I know this is a tumultuous time we live in. But friend, Jesus was still busy in the work and the, the multitudes, he saw them and he didn't just love them. We know he loved them. He came from heaven to die for them, but he was moved with compassion. He felt the best he could, their sorrow, their pain, their suffering. And what this world needs to do, experience what, this, what the church needs to do and the Christian needs to do is to take their eyes off of themselves and off of their own problem and realize that there's other people who have needs and burdens and I want to do whatever I can to meet that need. I want to do whatever I can to let them know that not only does God love them, but I care about them and I love them and, and I have that sympathy with them. Boy, if the church would get woken up to this, it turned this world upside down. I think we would all agree with that premise. But this is the time when it comes down to what are we going to do about it. If you're involved, stay committed to be involved. If you're not involved, let's commit. Let's commit. You've been around for the last few months. You get the idea that we're talking about the Great Commission every week. If you're here this morning, you're lost, you need to get saved. Heaven is real. Hell is real. You can't go to both places. Christ is the difference. You've been saved and you haven't been scripturally baptized. I'm telling you, this morning... As a child of God, you should identify with the one who saved you. That's the next part of your growth. Christian, commit to the institution that God. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of ways you can do that and should do that. But then as we're involved, laboring together, well, may we pray for God to stir the hearts of other people so that they might get involved and make a difference. The Great Commission is life-changing. The Great Commission is church-changing. The Great Commission is world-changing. But it will take compassion for us to be involved in the Great Commission. Friend, let's try to look at life, this world, our fellow man. And I'm out of time, but might I just add, the media, left and right, has done a good job of brainwashing America to just look at their fellow man as whether they're a Democrat or a Republican. But Christ saw their need. He felt their burden. He empathized 
with their situation. He was the answer. I'm convinced compassion makes the difference. Compassion moves hard men. Compassion breaks the chains of bondage. Compassion changes families and homes and cities. May we have compassion, Father, I pray.